heavily, I'm a clown. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF 1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support weather for us in the form of a mempool update but um sorry you guys had to miss that that was going to be the best part of the show yeah um something about obs it like resets my settings sometimes randomly i should really just check it every single time i just assume that's the problem i assume that it's the way i left it the last time we streamed we'll do it live yeah yeah we're, we're doing it live for sure so I had a really cool conversation with um, Aviv Milner yesterday, man. That's going to be, I'm going to publish that probably sometime later today. That's going to be the first official Bitcoin echo chamber episode in a while. I've heard his name. Uh, remind me what he does in the space. He works in, basically, he, he works in, um, he, he works as like an architecture consultant on like systems designs. And he works for a company that provides like encryption and privacy tools to people. Cool. That's uh, gonna be a good conversation. Yeah. No, I I had him on. It was like almost two years ago, on the podcast. So that was the first time him and I had caught up in a while, and he uh, he had a really interesting story to share with me. So like that's gonna be an episode people don't want to miss. When's that dropping? Hopefully later today. I haven't edited it yet. Um, I'll probably post it on YouTube as well, so that'll probably go up first, actually. So, because I already have that like ready to go, I just need to publish it. Awesome. What were you up to this week? Um, you know, I don't think much happened in Bitcoin this week, so I was just kind of. Um, yeah, I noticed it was kind of a slow week on Twitter. Yep. Nobody um, really posting anything. Not really any discussion worth mentioning. I don't think. Um, yeah. Just, just sitting here at home. Should we, should we just end the stream? Like, I think nothing so. to talk about. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. Like yesterday and maybe the day before that too, I was kind of just like bored of Twitter because it was only about one thing, and I was just sort of over it. I don't know. Uh, did you, did you see the tweet that I? Do you remember? Like, I used to not really be a big fan of Elon Musk. I don't know if you remember that about me. Yes. And I remember tweeting, it was like about a year ago, because I retweeted it yesterday, and it was basically me being like, conceding, being like, well, you know, I didn't used to like Elon Musk, but he seems like an okay guy, so like, I'm on board. Like, I get it now, guys. I get the Elon hype. (laughs) And now I'm going back, and I'm like, dude, always listen to your gut. Like, what the hell? Yep, and yep, and you were early, uh, early adopter on hating Nassim Taleb, and <laughs> yeah, no, I've always thought Taleb was overrated. I mean, I'm not saying that like he's never done anything of value or that he's not a smart guy. He might be a really smart guy, right? I mean, like I'm not. Same with Elon. Like, I can't build rockets. There are plenty of smart people that don't yet understand Bitcoin, and you know, when people always mention Elon Musk, I always say the same thing. He's a madman, right? And he's, I think. 
if you're that famous and you're that busy building rockets and building electric car companies and giant facilities that make batteries and all this stuff all the time, I can understand you not having time to spend a hundred thousand hours, um, you know, learning economics and, um, and, and intricacies of Bitcoin and game theory and all that multidisciplinary stuff. So it's, it's not that surprising to me that he bought some Bitcoin and still doesn't completely understand it. Um, we don't really know if he's, playing games with regulators, if he's, you know, dumping markets so somebody can fill their bag. Nobody really knows for sure, and there's not really a way to know. I think he's got a messiah complex. Yeah, for sure. I think that he creates a lot of wealth for a lot of people. I think he creates a lot of jobs. I think he creates a lot of really good products. I think he's a great businessman. I think he's a horrible entrepreneur, Um, because I think he runs a phenomenal company, but I think he doesn't satisfy real market demand yeah let's tease that out colin (laughs) well like well we were talking about this in the um in the spaces that dylan started last night right i mean i i think you had to jump out at one point but and and by the way if anybody that was in there with me is listening to this and i was talking over you i am so sorry i couldn't hear like 60 percent of the people in the room at all it was just silence and they would talk so like there's some bug with spaces maybe it's for android users or something but like i couldn't hear other people and i kept talking over them yeah and i thought I, that was kind of rude i was like wow he's really just, he must be really on a on no a dude to this i got a <laughs> i was dming that one guy that i kept talking over because i had no idea i thought it was just silence and i was trying to fill the silence that's why i kept jumping in like that that's funny um i was dming that dude and he was like wow this guy's alpha as hell <laughs> like no, <laughs> dude i would never do that on purpose like for real I, i'm sorry if i talked over you uh, i just couldn't hear people but no on, on the elon thing like I mean, are any of us really surprised that a guy who has made his fortune, right, with regulatory capture and subsidies, um, does other things that aren't necessarily in line with the principles that people who are attracted to Bitcoin tend to hold? Is it a shocker to you? Because it shouldn't be. And then, like, if it is, then you're probably simping over billionaires. Yeah. It's... It's it's not surprising to me at all. I mean, this this guy runs a you know a car company that's doesn't make any profit currently. And I know there's this long plan to you know reduce prices, and he's trying to make uh, you know cheaper and cheaper cars so that everybody can have an electric car, and that's great. But I mean, the, given that so much of the business model is reliant on all these government subsidies to incentivize you know green energy, under understandably, I suppose to. Uh, uh, to somebody who doesn't understand market economics, um, yeah, it's it's not surprising at all because now he is kind of beholden to that, right? Like if 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 you're receiving money, you're receiving subsidies based on all this, these credits, and then you know, some at some point somebody's going to come along and say, hey, that thing you're doing isn't green enough. Uh, I don't, I don't know. The whole narrative's so bunk, dude. Because oh, hundred percent. The majority of their vehicles are charged with coal, so like it's. And, and you know, I've, like, I've tweeted about before, like, the I think I've tweeted about this. Maybe it was in the Discord that I got into it about my all my problems with, like, lithium-ion batteries and this idea that we're going to move the energy grid over to solar and wind. It's just stupid. Oh, you didn't see the, the tweet after all those tweets yesterday where he said he's uh, switching all electricity to hamsters running on wheels that are fed by uh, um, green green agriculture and that all the rockets are going to be run on, on water now? So see, that's what be... it's, it's a messiah <laughs> complex, dude. Like, I know that that's a joke, like, and I know that that's his way of deflecting all of the criticism. Um, 
But like it, it, it when, no, when, he when didn't, you're that he didn't rich tweet and that, powerful, like when you're that rich and powerful, like you think. Oh, he didn't actually tweet that. You no, said no, I'm joking. Oh, okay, but he, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he him. did. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like I wouldn't be shocked at all if that was a real thing he actually tweeted. So it's, I think it's a messiah complex, man. It's like that whole like, oh, I just heard about Bitcoin and I'm here to fix it meme, right? He's like, well, I'm the smartest, richest, most successful man on earth. And if people are telling me that Bitcoin uses too much energy, well, gosh darn it, we're going to find something better. Yeah, and, and whether he, again, whether this is some big game and he really understands or whether he doesn't, tweets like, I'm working with Doge devs to make Doge more energy efficient is, is clear that there's like a disconnect between reality and whatever he's saying yeah like what does he have a mouse in his pocket that he lets run around on the keyboard is that the doge developer because as far as i know like doge is a dead product like there is no development going on on doge my cat has something to add to this conversation oh he she wants to be a doge developer yes so well, well, the mouse actually, can do it she's starting cat coin which is it's gonna overrun doge and it's gonna be much more energy efficient <laughs> she can be Katoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> um, and I, you know, personally, I think that Elon needs to check his financial privilege. Um, Gladstein came out with a great article. It was, I think it was this week, happened to be um, very, very well timed. Um, it doesn't specifically address the energy thing, I think, but it, it's talking about why this technology is so fucking important to the world. So the whole energy conversation, I mean, you know, aside from the fact that Bitcoin's energy footprint compared to the rest of the world is, is is pretty tiny. You know, if you actually look at the numbers, right? Objectively, it's it's a very small amount of energy compared to everything else that we do. And you could go through the moral argument of what about all the uh, you know electrical devices in your home that just sit idling, that waste you know wasting energy and all this stuff. But but more important is to focus on why this technology is important and why it's it's worth the energy that we are using, not wasting, right? Um, Pierre always likes to come on Twitter and say, you can't waste energy. <laughs> There's Learn science. <laughs> energy cannot be created or destroyed. <laughs> you know what's funny, though, is that the whole green energy... Well, it's not funny, actually. The whole green energy movement is so anti-humanity and so anti-progress. Because imagine if at any... Like, think back through the last 200 years and think about how far humanity has come. We had all of these amazing innovations that totally have changed the way that we live our lives and made the world such a better place for so many people. Like totally, like the world today, the way I live my life today is totally different than the way even my grandfather lived his life. Um, in a lot of ways, it's for the better. Yeah, you can argue there's little things here and there that are not as great, um, but those are growing pains. Imagine if the Overton window of the conversation around energy use back during the invention of the internal combustion engine had been well this will use too much energy it's it's ridiculous like imagine how much progress you would have stalled humanity out of by concern trolling over the amount of energy that that new product was going to use it's insane yeah and and where wherever you stand on this this co2 argument um it doesn't really matter because energy objectively is is a measure of human progress you know if you think about our our star trek-esque future of us flying around to different galaxies we're not going to do that without using energy um so you know elon's cars use plenty of energy right like i i, I can't support elon's company because his cars use energy is the fucking stupidest argument ever right uh, what he should be worried about is and focusing on is 
is is maybe starting his own mining company where he uses greener energy if that's what he thinks is important yeah and um you know if you go look at our website wtf happened in 1971 you might have heard of it you'll see <laughs> about halfway down you'll see a chart about how in the early 70s our energy use per capita broke away from the henry adams curve mm, and that's weird yeah and and if you don't know what the Henry Adams curve is, just go look it up. But it was it was basically just a prediction model uh, following the logarithmic trend, right? Because quality of life for individuals all over the planet increases as their energy use per capita increases. And in 1971, it just started stalling out on a per capita basis. And people make all kinds of excuses for why this is a good thing or for why this had to happen or because we're just that much more efficient now. No, that's that's stupid. You don't just suddenly like, well, we invented computers, so no, we don't need to use as much energy anymore. No, it's like that's not how this works. Like it's it's a principle. It's, it's an observable phenomenon. It doesn't just like suddenly cease being true. Yeah. Um. I don't think I have anything to add to that. That is well, <laughs> the the thing that 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 where this conversation should naturally go is that people will say, "Oh, but that amount of energy use per capita continuing to go up at that rate is unsustainable. Like we can't do it." Well, yes, we could <laughs> if people weren't constantly lobbying against you know creative new ways to source energy, like you know offshore drilling, fracking. Um, you know, construction of new oil pipelines to make the systems more efficient at delivering energy to where it needs to go. Nuclear power. I harp about nuclear power all the time. Build nuclear powered ASIC carriers, not aircraft carriers. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a funny one. Um, if they had a satellite connection, it, that that would totally be viable. I don't know, dude. It's absolutely viable. It's one hundred percent viable. The only the only um, truly difficult part about it. I mean, obviously, you'd have to have a crew of people on there, and you'd need nuclear engineers, and you'd need Bitcoin engineers and all that. Um, you would, defending a giant floating platform with millions of dollars of hardware in it is, is difficult and expensive, mm -hmm. right? And it's why the U.S. government spends so much money on its military and particularly on its Navy. Um, naval, naval warfare is like a complicated beast. And I will tell you this, I do know, like, aircraft carriers are designed for strike warfare. They're not very good at, like, protecting themselves. That's why they travel in fleet, or that's why they travel in strike groups, where they have lots of other ships whose job it is to protect the aircraft carrier. That's modern naval, naval warfare in a nutshell. So the problem of defending a freely floating, free energy, free money-making, digital magic internet money machine is, <laughs> is going to be tough, but, like... I don't know. I, and that's my, my thing is like, well, if we end the petrodollar, we don't need these giant billion-dollar aircraft carriers. And I mean like tens of billions of dollars aircraft carriers anymore. Convert so we, them into yeah. ASIC carriers and harness all that free energy potential with the nuclear reactors. And by the way, nuclear reactors at sea are one of the safest and most effective ways to generate abundant energy. Because you have unlimited cooling medium available should you ever have any problems. And you can literally like drive that thing out to sea and just like dump the nuclear reactor overboard down into the bottom of the ocean. I'm telling you... at there's so much water in the ocean that no matter how much radioactive material that thing is putting off, it is negligible in terms of the total amount of seawater. It, it it's, has no environmental impact. Plus, we have, you know, hun probably hundreds 
of these things operating in the wild right now. You're saying like this is a technology that exists and we are it's already in use. It's not like some we're not not a harebrained scheme to come up with a nuclear reactor that works on a boat. Like this this is how the military operates their aircraft carriers. Right, right. right. And and this was something I didn't really understand until I talked to uh, a chief engineer about it in the Navy who had worked on um, like nuclear reactors and had been a part of like and he's like oh yeah no like generating nuclear power at sea is like one of because i'm i i was like what happens you know if it like melts down or something like that or, you know everybody on that ship's gonna die he's like oh no it's not a problem you just open the bay doors you flood the reactor out and hopefully you get it contained and if not you just jettison it and sink it to the <laughs> bottom of the ocean i'm like oh that actually makes a lot of sense he's like no it's like the safest way to generate power, abundant energy in the whole world like oh that that's actually incredible but like you can't use that energy bitcoin is the perfect use case for that because you can't transport that energy somewhere else right right? you can't store that energy it's just there and it's abundant and it's on this floating platform it's like well then let's use it to fund the war machine um no let's use it to mine bitcoin that's fascinating and if, if if the petrodollar system breaks down or we don't need these giant aircraft carriers to defend it uh, then the price of those things will plummet and maybe make that viable. And and your buddy, uh, your buddy Stan Druckenmiller, who uh, is a close friend of yours, uh, believes that the reserve, the dollar is going to resu- lose its reserve status. Yeah, Stan and I go way back. You know, he asked me not too long ago. He was like, oh, he, he called me actually. I was like, oh, hey, what up, Stan? Stan the man. <laughs> he was that's like, what, that's, what, that's what Colin calls him. He calls him Stan the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an old college name, nickname. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, hey, Stan, how you doing? And he's like, I don't know, man. I'm worried about this whole dollar thing. I think it's going to go down. I'm like, yeah, bro, days are numbered. And he's like, you know what? I think you're right. I'm going to think about this and I'm going to make some official statements. And he did, you know, he's yep, yep. man of his he word. out there. Yeah. Because we've been saying this for like how long now? Yes. We finally convinced him is really what it was. We've been saying this for like four years, like before. Yeah. We're, we're basically profits. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, exactly. It's the argument we've been making over and over again, Russia, China, um, Maybe even Japan. Uh, probably some of these Middle Eastern company or countries are 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 not benefiting as much from this system that we have uh, as the U.S. is. I mean, the U.S. has this exorbitant privilege um, to create international demand for its currency, uh, so that it can you know create more uh, deficit spending and and benefit from from that demand uh, without um, hyperinflating its currency. So uh, the only real solution to this problem, which is is really like very closely tied into the uh, the Triffin dilemma. This is really just one leg of the Triffin dilemma. Um, is is a cryptocurrency, and and that that tidbit comes from the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. Uh, and you can find that tweet. Uh, I did tweet it out a long time ago. I'll find it again if you DM me. Uh, the St. Louis Fed uh, tweeted out that if <laughs> if a cryptocurrency became a world's reserve currency, it would solve the Triffin dilemma uh, for that currency. So. Um, I, I, I hope that Russia and China are listening. I know that Russia and China, the countries, follow our stream. Um, so mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that you're listening right now. Bitcoin is the only way to fix this problem of the Triffin Dilemma. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Re- um, we actually offer very affordable consulting rates. Yes. Uh, just reach out to ben or, I, ben or I and we'll set up a Zoom call uh, where we'll diagnose your, your energy needs and your um, um, international monetary needs and how you can plug yourself into uh, this new international Bitcoin sovereign money system set yourself up for success. Um, so yeah, so to wrap up, Elon bought Bitcoin, didn't sell it, 
and he's flooding it now. And, and dumped and the price. He made more money on Bitcoin in a quarter than he made doing anything else with Tesla ever. <laughs> so, and then he poo-pooed the thing that made him more money, his company more money than anything else, and dumped the price. Which... If it's a virtual signal, uh, it, it's very effective, apparently, because everyone everyone knows that now Elon is, is not supportive of this terrible mining thing, but holds his Bitcoin. Um, and 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 part of that argument he was making was that, uh, well, uh, more transactions, um, you know, that the, the transactional uh, cost of Bitcoin is very high compared to other things. And I, I, I made the point that, you know, Elon is actually doing us a disservice here because if he's discouraging transaction use, He's he's increasing the energy use per transaction. What a psychopath, right? Like if we just encourage everyone to make lots of Bitcoin transactions, well then the energy use per each transaction would come down. So uh, maybe he should rethink that strategy. Well, it's such a broken idea too that that Bitcoin's energy use is calculable on a per transaction basis. Of course, right? Because especially because we're talking about the base layer, so. One transaction on the Bitcoin network, not so much today, but maybe later on down in the future, one single transaction could account for hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands or maybe even millions of transactions on higher order layers in the future. That's the layer of final settlement. Like that's what people, I guess the, what all the pundits miss because they don't spend more than 10 seconds researching this is that this is software and it's iterative and you can build on top of it. And one single extremely secure, you know, um, transaction that settles in finality at the base layer is infinitely valuable for all of the layers that you build on top. Yeah. And, and now now he's got Pal Palantir is buying Bitcoin as well, right? That's what I saw. And people, what, what do you know about Palantir, Ben? Uh, I know that they are pretty much like if you picture like an evil corporation that's closely tied into the United States government that uh, wants to end privacy for us and um, basically the idea of of chain analysis companies, but on the traditional world in general, that's basically what they are. If, if is is that about about right? Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, I don't know that much about them to be honest. All I know is that people often very closely link them with the CIA. Right? Don't they do like a lot of CIA contracting? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Either. I, I think it's it's all government like data analysis and stuff. But who who owns Palantir? Isn't isn't Druckenmiller involved in that? Uh, I think there's a number of people, but I believe Teal is also. Oh, that's who it is. It's Peter is Teal involved okay. with it. That makes sense. Well, so, I mean, so the government is basically investing in companies that hold Bitcoin now. Is is what I'm saying. You got, you got Elon, you got Palantir. It's, it's, it, we're just one step away from them just holding it directly on their balance sheet, which if they had done when they seized all those Bitcoins from, uh, from Mt. Gox back in the day, well, they'd have a lot of Bitcoin today, wouldn't they? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm a big fan of Pierre's thing where he's constantly trying to push to get like the, the marshals or whoever it is that has all this Bitcoin to just hold it instead of selling it. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's like, no, it's really the only financially prudent thing to do. Selling it today is a really bad decision. I think he wrote like an article on that or something. That's the incentive of Bitcoin, that uh, it's it's more profitable to hold Bitcoin. It's, it's a better long-term decision because it's actually better for our world, right? 
to to hold Bitcoin and to bootstrap the liquidity of Bitcoin um, and and return our world to a, a world of sound money um, is is a better, more beneficial thing um, than investing in some random uh, stock company or you know holding a, a commodity. Except except lumber. Lumber is uh, going to the moon. Apparently. Well, and as a bonus, it's really hard to find anything with a two hundred percent compound annual growth rate. And Bitcoin yes. just so happens to have that. So. It's kind of win-win, you know, like you're, you're saving the planet by restoring sound money and you're earning 200% compound annual growth. That's pretty cool. Can you do that while you're locked in your home um, because the government is subsidizing you uh, to sit in your home and play video games all day? Apparently so, man. <laughs> Apparently it's that easy. Apparently you make more... Um, oh, I see. You're segueing into the labor shortage bit. Yes. Um, because the strategy for 2020 would be to sit in your home and buy Bitcoin and play video games, smoke weed. I think that would have been the most profitable strategy. If you're a minimum wage employee, yeah, because you're going to make more from your unemployment benefits than you would going back to work. So move in with your parents and stack sats, I guess. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. I, don't, I, I kind of feel like we're getting to the point. And so a little bit of background about myself. Like I grew up very conservative, like pretty much what you would call like a just like a southern republican i guess and i was always kind of really against like a lot of the welfare programs and redistributive stuff and i and i still am now today but more so like from the economic side like because it's so damaging um from an economics perspective where before it was more of like a social thing is like well you just want to sit at home and do nothing um and get paid for it and i understand there's there's always exceptions right people get down on their luck and sometimes we need to help those people out we can do that other ways than through government programs. Um, but, you know, my thinking has evolved so much now that I'm older and, and really evolved in Austrian economics and really have no use for politics whatsoever. Um, I've learned that Rothbard wrote a lot about this in America's Great Depression because this is the exact same thing the government did in 1929, 1930, uh, and then all the way up into like the 1933, like all of those sweeping reforms that FDR put in place basically took the Great Depression and t made it from like what could have been a liquidation event in 29 that would have smoothed out into a decade-long depression um, by mispricing the value of labor, by changing things like the minimum wage, and by creating unemployment um, benefits and simply shaking up the market in such a way that it couldn't reprice itself properly uh, and liquidate all of the malinvestment. And lo and behold, what are we seeing today? Um, huge labor shortages businesses that want to open back up and they can't hire the employees that they need to be able to operate effectively because people are making more money staying at home doing nothing yeah i was kind of thinking about this whole thing from a very high level this week and um i, I kind of came up with a an interesting i tried a response to this kind of idea of keynesianism and and trying to dampen volatility um the idea of trying to control prices so that you know prices don't go up or down too quickly right like this idea of price stability um and this idea of um you know like these unemployment uh this this kind of unemployment insurance thing that it was very prevalent in 2020 um to protect against the people that you know obviously this thing was unexpected a covid this pandemic or whatever so now oh these businesses are failing and all these loans that are now being extended it turns out that if you have a sound money uh, it incentivizes saving and saving which is a hedge against uncertainty is a way to hedge against prices changing 
unexpectedly, right? So it's it's this opposite end. So instead of like the government being able to bail you out for all the problems that they've actually created um, by by lighting you know all these fires and having fires pop up everywhere, um, you just have people hedging against uncertainty by holding money, right? It's, I know it's this very strange concept in in 2021, but I mean that's what people used to do uh, to hedge against uncertainty. And they have disincentivized this by devaluing our money, uh, which is, to me, absolutely insane. Right, because you can't save in money anymore. You have to be a speculator. Well, mm -hmm. everybody's, you know, you know how I feel about that word. But yes. you have to be an amateur speculator, right? You have to go out and buy these equity portfolios. You have to buy that commodity index. You have to trade that bond portfolio. You you know, you, you don't have to do that. Maybe you could pay someone else to do it for you. But at the end of the day, you're becoming a speculator in the financial markets, despite the fact that most people know F all about financial markets. Right. JW talks about this in his uh, 10 Hours of Bitcoin about speculation. This is a great video if you haven't uh, watched that. Um, that that speculation um, is a, is a job for the, like the smartest people in the world that have the most information about the market. And if you're not one of those people, you're probably going to have a bad time speculating. And I mean, I think th I think the reason he brings it up in the series is because um, if you do, you know, hundreds of hours of research on Bitcoin, understanding all these multiple disciplines and, and economics and, and history of money. Um, you'll probably have more information than most of the market participants in the Bitcoin market. Um, but that's not really true of all these other places. Um, so to be an investor, right, um, you would be wanting to do some kind of fundamental analysis on, on the business. And, and I'm not saying that like normal people shouldn't ever invest in a business. If they see, you know, a business like Amazon growing steam in 1992, and they're they're looking to disrupt an industry, right? Or you know something like Netflix um, going to disrupt uh, block, uh, Blockbuster, and and you want you want to get a little piece of that. That that can make sense. You can be an expert maybe in that one field or see just enough of it to to take advantage of that. But to to the, to think that we have to take eighty to ninety percent of our wealth and savings and then just allocate it to all these random businesses through an index fund, and that's the only way to preserve our wealth, to me is absolute insanity. It's it's forced malinvestment um, because you're you're not allocating the capital as as a somebody who would that 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 has that market knowledge i don't know well let's use you as an example ben like you worked in the restaurant industry for a long time right and did. you you learned a lot about the day-to-day -day operations and like you know how to make a business profitable and how many customers are needed and um you know butts and seats eating food right and all and and um training staff and like retaining staff and all of those like Com all of that um, calculus that goes into running a successful restaurant in, a, in an extremely competitive industry, right? Um, but because I would assume <laughs> you weren't able to, you know, qualify as a, um, what would you call it, uh, an accredited investor, you know, mm -hmm. because you're earning, a, you know, a reasonable but, you know, meager salary in terms of what the government considers your net worth to be to qualify you to be an accredited investor. You can't get in on the early stage investments of what you think might be a great business opportunity with your buddy who wants to go open a restaurant. Yeah, you can do it with him, but like if he wants to give you like private placement and equity or something like that and you wanted to like give him $50,000 to help seed his investment, that might be a tremendous investment for you, but you legally can't do it because the government prevents you from investing in what you know. They say, no, you're too stupid. Uh, to do that, you have to invest in these um, 
managed financial instruments that we've created for you. Once again, it's the government stepping in to protect people, right? Like just like they were protecting them from the price price volatility, here they are protecting people from from investing in the wrong thing. Meanwhile, you can go down to the casino, you can go down to the lottery, you know, and and you can waste all your money there. But God forbid that you could actually allocate some capital to something. And it sounds like Colin, what you're saying is not only does the system. Um, disproportionately benefit very wealthy people that can get in on those things. It also disproportionately um, benefits the people that are very well connected, uh, which I found interesting the way you said that. It's like, cause you were like, oh, if you happen to know the guy, you can still invest in that company. Um, but it, it's uh, not the case for most people. Right. No, I mean, the world's kind of always been about who you know, not what you know. And sure. It is what it is, right? I mean, like, what are you going to do about it? But but we're talking about efficient capital allocation here. So so if I let's say I'm an entrepreneur and I don't have you know a hundred million dollars to start a company, um, what I think was really interesting in 2017, and, and this is this is maybe a unpopular opinion, is the idea of an ICO. Um, there's merit somewhere buried in this, right? That I have a great idea for a company and I just want to issue equity to everybody in the world and get that access to that funding and that capital. And and things like Kickstarter, we're kind of doing this stuff, but that's permissioned closed systems. Um, I, I do think that there's a lot of merit to the idea that somebody in this world, this well-connected digital world today should be able to have access to that capital, but um, that that the, these things like accredited investors definitely uh, are, are, are a, ba- a barrier to that. Yeah, and the thing about Kickstarter is I think Kickstarter's terms of service actually specifically prohibits any kind of equity-based yes. compensation for, Correct. for seed round investing, essentially, is what it is. I mean, like it's a basically, pre-sale. Yeah, you're basically trading seed round equity for coffee mugs and digital art books. Well, but in a lot of cases, it's a pre-sale, which which actually does make sense. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I actually love the Kickstarter model. I think it's awesome. I've actually backed a number of Kickstarters myself. Um, Me too, but some, they take... Some didn't turn out so well. <laughs> uh, but they take like 30%, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So that's not efficient. I mean, they, they take 30% for having a website. A website that does very, very minimal things by today's standards of what a website can do. It connects people, and it connects the uh the closed financial system uh Mm. with with these people right Right. and somebody built something pretty similar um on top of bitcoin if i recall oh no no it was a it was a patreon alternative oh yes that was uh that was jeff vandrew yeah that was vandrew yeah who also runs keykeeperira.com um shout out to jeff then we've seen other things spring up like um tally coin that one that we use on wtf 1971 oh yeah I'd like to replace uh, with Libra Patreon at some point. I just can't do it at the moment. Yes, or just a BTC Pay server would be great too. Um, lots of options. But uh, you mentioned Tallycoin. It made me think, um, not to go back to the energy thing too much, but um, uh, a few guys that I know, Brad Milscan, Lyle Pratt, Jamie King, and at least one other person I know that um, I don't want to mention their name without because uh, I didn't see them mentioned publicly. Um, are working on doing a film about Bitcoin energy use, and I just tweeted it out. So if you go to um, my Twitter, you can find that you can you can through their tally coin, you can help uh, donate to the project, which does look like it's going to be good. Good Sorry, for segue. them. I, I hope not. it's a great I hope it's a great documentary. I look forward yeah. to watching it. Um, 
But since you brought the energy thing back up again, I oh. have to say, <laughs> I'm annoyed by the Bitcoiners who, and I'm not suggesting that this is what Lyle, Lyle Pratt or whoever, all those guys involved in that film think. I'm just saying this because it came to my mind. I'm, I get annoyed by the Bitcoiners who want to go to bat to be an apologist for Bitcoin's energy use and want to say, oh, no, it's okay. Like pretty soon wind and solar are going to power all the Bitcoin energy because we have to charge after zero cost energy. Guys, you don't need to be an apologist for, for energy use. Like it, it's a good thing that Bitcoin uses so much energy. It is not a flaw. It is part of its design. And as it scales or as the, the Bitcoin price scales, you can probably expect that amount of energy that the network uses to continue to go up. And some of it's going to be natural gas. Some of it's going to be fossil fuels. Some of it may eventually be nuclear. Some of it might be wind. Some of it might be solar. Some of it might be hydro. It doesn't really matter where it comes from. And you don't need to be an apologist for the fact that the network uses energy. Don't fall into the frame the narrative that these people are coming in and using to try to um, shift over its and window around the conversation of Bitcoin. Yeah, and uh, there's, a, there's a number of things I want to jump in on here. One, um, in, in this whole energy debate, just you should know your facts. There is a, I, I tweeted this out recently, I think it was yesterday. Um, there's uh, energytalkingpoints.com, something like that, that has some uh, great points. One of the points that I always bring up um, is the fact that the fossil fuel industry is heavily subsidized as well. So if, if you really actually care about these things, maybe we should end the subsidies on fossil fuels. Just a thought, right? Um, I don't know. And actually expose the true cost of these things and let the market sort it out. Uh, what's the other thing hit on there? Um, oh, yeah. the uh, There was a tweet the other day that I thought was really ingenious that you showed me um, about proof of work, right? That um, this idea that proof of work is is all oh, we need to switch to proof of stake. Well, um, interestingly, historically, um, there was a time that we switched from proof of work to proof of stake and it didn't go so well, Colin. Did you want to did you want to talk about that? I, I love that explanation. It was, he, it was so good. It was a simple tweet. He just tweeted our website, WTF 1971. And WTF happened in 1971, for those of you who don't know. And he just said, oh, the year that we switched the dollar from proof of work to proof of stake. <laughs> and it's not a perfect analogy because no analogy no. is perfect, right? And because it was a pseudo gold standard. And yeah, we could pick apart the nuance for hours. But it's such a clear and concise explanation. for It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same problem. It's like, hey... Um, it used to be that we had money can money issuance was, you know, tied to this proof of work system where you had to invest in gold mining equipment and you had to send people down into the earth and you had to clear out all this dirt and you had to, you know, sluice through the dirt and produce this gold and melt it down and turn it into gold bullion. Um, and then in 1971, we we're like, nope, we're not doing that anymore. We're just going to say, all right, if you're, if you're in control, if you have all the power, if you have all the dollars, you get to say how much money gets printed every year. And, and don't worry, we'll put our smartest people on it. Um, they'll take care of you. You got nothing to worry about. They know about liquidity traps. Um, trust us, we got this. And lo and behold, that turned out not to be such a good idea. And if you look at our website, you'll see why. Money by decree. Um, and, and just to kind of come back to the, the, the main part of this conversation, I spent spent some time talking to Tina yesterday, Bitcoin Tina, who, you know, I, I do love Bitcoin Tina. He does have a lot of great takes, but he spent a lot of time talking about how, you know, kind of we need a response to this. And um, I, I, I went back and forth and kind of saw both sides of this. And I, I do see a little bit on both sides. But, you know, like I see Harry Lasagna in the chat there saying uh, we, we shouldn't be engaging or re, re, 
rebuttaling these ridiculous conversation. Um, I, I, I agree that we shouldn't come back just as a response to try to oh refute each individual little bit of bullshit that's out there because it takes an infinite more amount of energy to refute all the bullshit that's out there. But that you know it it, it doesn't hurt to to have a project that's that's really succinct and, and makes these points. So um, you know I encourage if people want to create content like you know Lyle Platt's doing. Um, it's that's you know even if it is in somewhat response to this. It's, it's always great to have more content and more education that makes the stuff easy to understand for folks. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to see kind of both sides of that conversation. Well, the, the, the troll inside of me hopes that their documentary is an hour and a half of one guy sitting in front of the camera saying, cry harder, bitch. <laughs> is that shout, shout out to uh, our buddy Francis? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Francis is my hero. And I, I said, you'll hear me say that again with the podcast of the Veeve. I love that dude, man. He is like yeah. a Bitcoin vanguard. If you haven't read it, go read um, Cry Harder by Francis Puyo. Puyo. I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 the opposite take. This is the the have fun staying poor take, right? Where it's just like, you guys don't understand Bitcoin. F you. Um, you know, have fun staying intellectually poor. <laughs> and I think um, the reason that I admire this take is because... Bitcoiners in the last year are a little bit guilty of simping too much over billionaires showing up and pouring liquidity into the protocol. Um, you need to remind yourself, you need to stay grounded and remember that Bitcoin doesn't need these people. Yeah, it's great when Michael Saylor shows up and says, well, Bitcoin's my new treasury reserve asset. I'm, I'm pretty sure Michael Saylor gets it, guys. I think we should have been uh, a little bit more guarded about the fact that there are plenty of other people who might show up and say, hey, I love Bitcoin, buy my shitcoin, or insert X into shitcoin, and you have the free engagement playbook of 2020 and 2021, right? I, Michael Saylor gets it, and I'm not saying he won't ever, you know, turn out to be a trader or a fool or whatever. You know, he's just but... a human being. We're all capable <laughs> of making mistakes. Um, but you shouldn't be simping over billionaires and the money that they bring to the table is all I'm saying. Be prepared for Michael Saylor to come out tomorrow and say Bitcoin is is too wasteful for energy, and I'm selling all my Bitcoin. Because and if Bitcoin that happens, still wins. Yeah, if that happens, <laughs> it shouldn't break your heart, and it shouldn't like crush your faith in Bitcoin because your your understanding should come from the understanding of the value of the technology of the protocol, right? And the way it operates as a network, not the fact that Michael Saylor or Elon Musk or Stanley Druckenmiller or you know. Ben and Colin think that it's a great idea. It should come from your understanding of why it's valuable. It's annoying, but like, don't be that that woman that like when Trump got elected was like, no, you know, like you can't let your your world revolve around you know the the opinions of a few people. <laughs> I don't. It does suck to watch like your net worth go down by twenty percent in like a day. <laughs> <laughs> but when you saw it do a ten x this year. I don't see why that's a huge problem. It's easy to forget. <laughs> you get really used to, you know, numbers being in a certain place, and then when you watch it all crumble, you're just like, damn it. I hate that guy. And this is why it's a good idea. If, if you're newer to Bitcoin, you don't just go all in on all at once, because when that 20% drop happens, then you're not prepared for it. It's psychologically speaking. The fundamentals are in the long run aren't changing, right? It's still a long term. It's it's a, it's a, a we're, we're, we're so bullish, right? But if you're newer to Bitcoin, 
DCing in, even if, even if it's a few chunks that, you know, it's, you know, if you had, you had a hundred grand you wanted to put into Bitcoin, you do it in 10,000, $20,000 chunks is better than just going in a hundred thousand because a little drop like this is going to, is going to test your conviction and test your psychology. That's but a good point. I mean, if you're like me, you know, you'll, you'll pretty quickly go all in. Um, once you figure you can stomach the volatility. I mean, I think I bought Bitcoin for, for 18 months before I saw a green day on my portfolio. Like on a regular basis, I was buying Bitcoin for 18 months. Same. And then it went really green and then it went really, really green, really <laughs> fast. <laughs> and then watching some of that uh, pullback was, was a little painful, but like it's normal, you know, it's like, and if, if you can't hang with the volatility, well, yeah, you better limit yourself to small amounts. Absolutely. Did you want to touch on this uh, BIP125 bug? Um, I mean, I don't know. You, you said you didn't really know what's going on. So, like, my best understanding of what this is is basically an inheritance problem with um, transactions that activate RBF, uh, where child transactions can affect the parent transaction because they inherit the RBF property. Um, and it's really probably only a problem with like certain types of lightning transactions. Um, and it's a potential like there's it opens the door for like some potential malicious acting around uh, affecting final balance on on lightning i think that's that's my best understanding about it and this is just from reading like bitcoin optech and like a little bit of the bit devs mailing list well, the little bit i did understand is it's, it's a bug in this bip and that core isn't currently affected from what i did get and i i wonder uh, and I, I don't do you know what what bip 125 is about i should have probably researched this. isn't it it's about rbf right oh uh, okay, like child I pays see. for parent and rbf i, I think that's interesting. Well, I'll have to do my research on that, but um, I, I, I have a feeling that it's Tapper... a way for Lightning to reconcile channel balances when you close out the channel, right? Because it, when oh, you okay, send the yeah. transaction, I'm opening a channel with you for, you know, one Bitcoin on Lightning, but I only send you 0.5 Bitcoin on Lightning, and then I close the channel, right? So you have to RBF that old transaction to say, like, yeah, he opened one Bitcoin's worth of Bitcoin, but he only settled 0.5, so I need to give the other half back to him. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. I I wonder if uh, if Taproot and, and PTLCs will fix that, but um, it doesn't sound like it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I need to look more into it. It was just something that I saw, and I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't really have enough uh, skin in the technical game yet to know exactly what's going on there. Um, but that might be a decent transition to just at least briefly mention as a little update on Taproot. Uh, it looks like yesterday, as of yesterday, um, not 80% of the blocks, but 80% of, of miners, like at pools basically, are signaling at least somewhat. So um, my forecast is that by the, the third epoch, so we're in, the sec we're in the second epoch just started, first epoch failed, um, probably by the third epoch, we should have this activated. And I think there's uh, there's five or six epochs total. So it, it looks like this is going to activate. We're not going to need to have a UASF, but um, all that stuff is is on. I think we'll have Taproot activated this year, uh, no matter what, through one of these methods. Yeah, I think, wasn't it Ribs that was saying in the Discord earlier um, that he's expecting, um, he, he, he mentioned somebody by name, I don't remember who was going to start signaling soon. And that was going to bump it up to like 80% or something. 
yeah, I don't remember who he said either, but we're basically for for the big ones, we're really only waiting on Binance right now, I think. We're the point is if all that sounds like Greek to you, the point is we're getting pretty close to reaching the taproot signaling threshold to be able to just activate without having to go through. And and um, bear in mind, like if speedy trial doesn't happen, it's okay. They just have to kind of go back to the drawing board and, and figure out another activation method. Um, or UASF. And at, <laughs> I, I'm I'm happy. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll cross that bridge if, if and when we come to it. But I'm what I what I was trying to say is that I don't think that bridge is is on the horizon. I don't think it's going to be an issue. Just from what we've seen over one epoch and a little bit of the second one, we've already seen it it kind of come into line. I think. Yeah, I, I hope it goes smoothly. I don't think that there's anybody that doesn't want Taproot. I think there was a lot of pressure on those pools that weren't signaling. You know, a lot of texts came in as soon as <laughs> Taproot dot, uh, Taproot watch started. Well, the, so the cool thing about the fact that they're pools is that miners can be like, well, I want Taproot, and this pool that I mine with isn't signaling for Taproot. So let me send them a message and be like, hey, if you guys don't start signaling Taproot, I'm going to move my hash power somewhere else. And that hits them in their bottom line, and they're just kind of like, well, crap, we need to signal Taproot or we're going to lose all of our miners. So it's kind of a cool um, market feedback mechanism there. But Colin, I thought the pools controlled Bitcoin. <laughs> no, China controls Bitcoin, Ben. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pools are, uh, are, are really funny. I mean, yes... There is some, you know, credibility and, and clout that a pool can build up over time, um, but it's it's it turns out that it's very easy to lose that credibility. Uh, while it may not be easy to start up a huge pool, it is technically pretty easy to start up any pool anytime. Um, I'm really interested in eventually seeing some kind of like gray pools, like pools that we don't really know who runs them or whatever, and they're just kind of out there. Um, because it's theoretically relatively easy to do that too, right? Yeah, weren't we talking about that not that long ago? I don't remember. I think so. Yeah, we were talking about like auto like either autonomous pools that are just run by a coordinator or, um, I, yeah, I guess gray pools would be a good way to put it. That'd be a good name for it too, the gray pool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea for all you guys watching out there. Yeah. Somebody go start a, a, dark, a dark pool of some kind, pool that we can't see. All right, we got anything else to hit on before we wrap up? I don't think so. Yeah. Too bad nothing happened this past week to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe next week something will happen. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for watching. Sorry about the audio issues at the beginning there. See you next week. Later.